Welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible and how parents can apply God's word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. We look at everyday issues from a biblical worldview so that you can trust the sufficiency of scripture and apply its truth to your life as you raise and disciple your kids. Hello, brave parents. Kelly and Chelsea here on a Wednesday delivering you news headlines with a biblical worldview. That is why we call it Worldview Wednesday. Kel, I can already, uh, I can already sense your passion. I can't wait till we go to video podcasting. Then our our listeners will be able to see it. I saw you take off your earrings before the episode because we got we got one today, don't we? We're we're gonna we're gonna bring it. I'm a little passionate. I'm a little bit fired up about what we're gonna talk about, which is the American Psychological Association's new health advisory report on social media use in adolescents. I'm fired up because this is an agency that holds a place of authority, this position of expertise. And people generally take what they say and they treat it like scripture, right? But it's written by sinful people, which I acknowledge we all are, but it's written by them with an agenda. You know, they have constituents to please and lobbyists to capitulate to. And frankly, the divide between science and reason is so distorted that this advisory report, they're just trying to please everyone while helping no one. And while I'm not claiming that I am an expert on all things psychological or even social media, parenting, and even scripture, but at Brave Parenting, we have done a lot of research to put out concrete recommendations for parents based on the sufficiency of scripture, based on parenting experiences, and as well as scientific research. It's like this. It's like the American Academy of Pediatrics, you know, they only give concrete screen time recommendations up to age five. And after that, they pass the baton and just kind of say, good luck, right? But parents of six-year-olds still have a strong desire and need for expert recommendations. That's one reason why we created Social at 16 Initiative, to help parents have a solid foundation to stand on together, united for their teenagers. You know, in our workshops, Chelsea, and conferences that we give, we try and give solid evidence-based time limit suggestions for kids over six, because that's what parents want. And if I, as a pharmacist by trade, right, and a mom who's just super passionate about raising up the next generation, can research and create solid recommendations, why can't they? Why can't the APA do this? The APA, under this guys of their so-called authority and expertise, they put out just this absolute garbage to help parents in navigating media and technology with their kids. It infuriates, but it saddens me because they're deceiving parents with their smooth and flattering words that mean nothing and have zero application. In fact, I actually believe that these recommendations are a detriment to parents and kids. And while I don't expect a secular government-sponsored organization to lean on the sufficiency of scripture, I dare say they don't even lean on reality. These guidelines are so nebulous. And it's frustrating because it just seems like everyone is afraid of coming out and speaking the hard truth. And that is children and adolescents should not be on social media. And just so our listeners know, The American Psychological Association, this is their first health advisory report on social media use in adolescents. Cal, how long have we had social media? Well, Facebook's been around for almost 20 years. So they're kind of behind the curve. And I I mean, like if any other organization did this, there'd be outrage. Like if they were this far behind on providing concrete recommend or what they call concrete recommendations. These are definitely not concrete recommendations, but just the fact that it looks like they just threw this together. Like, hey, let's create an advisory board because we've got to put something out there. It's been 20 years. We got to do this. It's time to wake up. Okay, so this report came out on Tuesday, May 9th, uh, 2023. And it, its goal, I guess you could say, it's an 11-page report, and its goal is to ensure adolescence well-being. They even quote the Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, and his call for social media standards in their introduction. Okay. However, while Dr. Murthy threw out a suggestion of the age of 16 on a CNN interview, the APA speaks in the most 
overly generic academic and scientific terms about what parents should be doing. So our goal in sharing this with you, along with a pretty strong critique if you haven't already noticed, is that you can learn to read through this government and so-called secular experts and then critically analyze whether or not their recommendations align with God's word. So we were, we're just going to review some highlights of this, you know, fantastic piece of work. Although if we reviewed them all, this podcast would be probably, I don't know, what do you think, four hours long, I think, yeah. So I'm sure, therefore, we're only going to do a few, and we're going to offer critique, but then we're going to offer biblical counter-truths along the way. We really, really, really just want to emphasize the sufficiency of Scripture that God's Word has been right, true, and good all along for thousands of years. You know, the APA may be catching up to 20, but God's been right for thousands of years. Now, if I may, Chelsea, I'd like to start with the picture that is on the cover of this PDF. I really, really try not to be like a micro attacker of details, but for a public health advisory notice that seeks the well-being of adolescents, I struggled to see how this fits. And again, probably more because I'm in this arena that I see these pictures and the pictures mean something to me. Now, we aren't doing video podcasts yet, so unless you're looking at the PDF, you're not going to know what this looks like. So let me explain. It's a picture of a young boy, I would say at about 10, maybe at the oldest, who's sitting on a couch with an iPad on his lap and noise-canceling headphones on his ears. The room is fairly dark, but his face is a glow from the screen that his neck hunches over to gaze at in order to achieve this entertainment through a video game. Next to him is an adult man. I would assume it's his father, although the boy appears completely oblivious of him. And the father, who's holding his own smartphone, which is aglow with some unknown content, sort of leans his shoulder into his son, and his eyes are just over, kind of looking towards the iPad to see what his son is doing. This picture makes me sad. I mean, maybe that was their intention to demonstrate how much of the reality is that both parent and child are overly consumed with their screens. That spending time together is sitting on the couch both with your screens. And that is not true. That is not spending quality time together. You know, maybe it is um, to show that any bit of oversight of what your child is doing is better than none. You know, but after I read the notice, I honestly, I'm not even sure if they had any serious contemplation about what picture went onto the cover. Because it feels so thrown together. And the whole thing feels like, like I think chat GPT could probably have written a better health advisory notice. And these are supposedly America's leading psychological experts. I don't get it. And before we begin with the APA's recommendation, I'd also like to point out that their introduction states that their recommendations are based on scientific evidence to date and certain considerations. So I'd like to make a few points about these. First, that they state, quote, the effects of social media are dependent on adolescents' own personal and psychological characteristics and social circumstances, intersecting with the specific content, features, or functions that are afforded within many social media platforms, end quote. Okay, this is almost exactly what we say, but just with different words. We believe it's the heart that intersects with the content. And of course, the content is dictated by dun, 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 the algorithm. So in this regard, yes, we can kind of agree with the APA. Yeah, they just say it in a whole lot of other fancy words. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, they also go on to list several points that allude to their reliance on critical race theory. They discuss the racial disparities, socioeconomic differences, and how platforms have centuries-old racism built into them. Therefore, they can become an incubator, providing community and training that fuels racist hate. All I'll say on this is that, yes, this is potentially true. But if it's true, where's the outrage? Where's the canceling? Where's the protests? Where's any of it if this is true? Where's the the 2020 rage, if this is true about social media, why don't we bring down this institution? But there are a lot of other dangerous aspects of the algorithm that are not highlighted in the APA's points of consideration. And not only that, as we'll see, if they really believe that this is true and it's destructive enough to list it in their introductory points, then I believe the recommendations should better reflect that. 
Because, Kelly, that sounds pretty serious. If it fuels racist hate, why would you not make stricter recommendations? Why would you not raise the age limit? But alas, I get ahead of myself. We're gonna, let's just start. Recommendation number one by the APA. Quote, youth using social media should be encouraged to use functions that create opportunities for social support, online companionship, and emotional intimacy that can promote healthy socialization. All right, let's break this down. First, they use the word youth instead of adolescence in this. They constantly bounce back and forth. And again, maybe I'm nitpicking, but to me, this is significant because adolescence is most commonly defined as those teen years, like the 13 to 18. Whereas youth, if you were to define it, is not going to give you a specific age. But in our culture, it's more broadly kind of inclusive of 10 plus, 11 plus. You know, our church has youth group that includes, you know, sixth and up which sixth grade can be like 11-year-old. So to me, the switch in language signifies their acknowledgement that kids under 13 are using social media. And this is where they're just not willing to draw a line in this, the sand and declare an age. We're just going to keep this very broad, very nebulous. I mean, at least the government says 13 with the COPA Act. At least they're saying, hey, these platforms can't collect data under 13. At least we have a single age here. But just because kids under 13 are using social media platforms doesn't mean that we just throw our hands up and say, well, what can we do? (laughs) No, right? We don't just change words. Okay, that's that's maybe a little bit of a rant. Again, nitpicking. Okay, second, they say that the youth should be encouraged to do these things. Again, no recommendation for a hard and fast limit, which is, again, what parents actually want from entities like the APA, is y'all, I can encourage my child all day long to clean their room. But if they have decided that they don't care and that they don't want to listen and they don't want to do it, there is no level of encouragement that is going to change the situation. What will get that child cleaning? Discipline and consequences. Well, don't forget that they're also encouraged to use the functions of social media that create opportunities. So I'm just sitting here. I'm just wondering to myself, what specific functions are these versus which functions are they supposed to stay away from? So let's let's take TikTok, for example. What part of the For You page are they supposed to use for social support and online companionship? The strangers that they meet in the For You page? Are they only supposed to watch their friends' TikToks? Okay, so what about Snapchat? What functions of Snap created create opportunities for uh, um, um, emotional and social support. Yeah, I can think of a lot of ways that Snap is used to facilitate emotional intimacy, but those are promoting healthy socialization as the encouragement aims to do. So which functions, APA, are they supposed to use that aren't controlled by the algorithm, right? Which ones? Is it just the direct messaging functions? Is that all that they're supposed to use? Because we are absolute fools to think that youth will only use that function, but never ever look at the algorithmic driven feed of the content. It's ridiculous. That that is an absolute ridiculous belief. You you can't say only use this function. That's not how they are designed. They're exploiting all of the vulnerabilities in our psyches that to use every function that is there and kids will absolutely fall into that. Oh my goodness. Okay. That brings us to that fourth point in this recommendation where they state that the goal of social media use, right, in order to create this healthy socialization, is to use social media for social support, online companionship, and emotional intimacy. Okay, can cannot all three of these means of relational connection also be the same source of grooming, exploitation, bullying, radicalization, and fueling hate? Y'all, Social media cannot be the problem and the solution. Social media can't be causing all of this stuff. And then we're saying, hey, go on here and find online companionship. Find social support and emotional intimacy. No, that is not the solution. That is not where it's found. The solution is to encourage and facilitate face-to-face, real-life 
friendships and community and relationships for these youth. They don't need encouragement to only use the proper functions. It's completely futile. Most adults cannot muster enough self-control to only use the functions that facilitate healthy socialization. And we're expecting youth to be able to do this? It will never happen. Who gets to define what's proper? Who gets to define that? Because I know by my word of God, there's a lot of things that are improper functions on social media that people are calling proper. That's right. Just like we said before, the only reason why child sex abuse material is so prevalent online is because there is a group of people who don't deem it evil, who want it. When you talk about proper functions with no definitions, again, it's just garbage. Not only that, if APA is saying this, you know, get your social connection through social media and your healthy, all this garbage that they tell you. What, what we know from the word of God is that we are meant to do life in community. They're saying, find it online. We're saying, find it in real life relationships. Hebrews 10.24, we've talked about this before. We're going to go over it again. It says in Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stimulate one another on to love and good deeds, not forsaking gathering together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another as the more you see the day drawing near. This is the gathering together of the followers of Jesus. This is not just a thing of antiquity that was only important in the first century church. This is a thing that is important forever. This is how humans flourish. It's how we were designed to thrive in relationship, life on life, not just online together. It is life on life where support happens. This is where true companionship thrives. And there is no amount of emotional intimacy that can be established in a healthy way online, especially for youth, for crying out loud. This has not led to positive outcomes. This has not led to our young people having thriving relationships and emotional stability and healthy socialization. It has led to emotional dysregulation. It has led to bullying and suicide. It has led to porn addiction and to children being extorted for nude photos and trafficked and then raped. It has led to youth changing their gender, mutilating their bodies, all in the name of identifying with a group in order to feel welcomed, in order to find social support. Kelly, not to mention that on this page of recommendations, there's also a little sidebar that states, quote, Access to peers that allows LGBTQIA and questioning adolescents to provide support to and share accurate health information with one another can protect youth from negative psychological outcomes when experiencing stress, end quote. I have so much to say, but first, did you notice they jumped back from adolescence to youth in the same sentence? Oh, yeah. And like a snap of a finger. Super interesting. But for real. If you're really listening to what they're saying right here, what they're saying is that adolescents should give other adolescents support and accurate health information. No, y'all, that is called the blind leading the blind. And I don't know, but history, I feel like, has taught me that that does not work out very well. No, over and over and over again, social media is causing this social contagion of LGBTQIA+. It absolutely cannot and is not the solution. Why? Why are LGBTQIA plus experiencing so many negative psychological outcomes? It is not because they're not using the functions of social media properly. It is because they are on social media and it is feeding them lies from the enemy, which conflicts with their biology. And it is not in line with the general revelation God has given them. Y'all, listen to Romans 1, 18 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. So what does that mean? That means that everyone knows that men were created men and women were created women. And Paul goes on to say, for God made it evident to them. It's like written on the wall, written in the stars. This is the truth of reality. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. And guess what? We're part of what has been made so that they are without excuse. Kelly, that means we, no one has excuse. Everyone knows this is what's true about reality. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanging the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonoring among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards another, towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness and wickedness and greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers. Kelly, is he describing social media? It sounds like it. They're haters of God. They're insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. That was Romans 1, 18 through 32. This is the reality of what's happening. I, I can't say it any better than Paul does here in his letter to the Roman church. They've been given over to a depraved mind. They're filled with all terrible qualities of the people that we see on the internet. And the key is the very last line. Verse 32, Paul says, they also give hearty approval to those who practice these awful deeds. Is, isn't this what providing peers with support and health information look like? Doesn't that, isn't that what they just told us that we should be allowing our our youth to do with each other, provide each other with accurate health information. Interesting. That it is. It's that last verse of they're not, not only doing the same, they're giving hearty approval to everyone else who's doing it. This is what a social contagion is. Yeah, no one's stopping it. And, and APA is just saying, hey, you know what? These people can find a lot of support when they're stressed. But we're not going back to the source. They have a depraved mind because they're they're doing this because they're caught up in the lies of the enemy that they're getting online. So, okay, to wrap up our thoughts on this recommendation, I'd say this provides absolutely zero indirection and value to parents. There, there is just no way to encourage the use of certain functions. That is just simply how social media is designed. And unless it is designed differently, and that is definitely a conversation to have that is definitely something that media and tech companies need to consider. But we cannot expect different use from children and adolescents who use it unless it is actually going to be designed differently. Okay, let's talk about the second recommendation. It reads, quote, social media use, functionality, and permissions and consenting should be tailored to youth's developmental capabilities. Designs created for adults may not be appropriate for children. Now, I'm led to assume this recommendation is maybe aimed more at these sort of tech giants themselves, uh, Meta, Snap, ByteDance, Amazon, everybody who's creating these platforms. And maybe the APA is calling them to create functionality and, quote, consent features that allow for greater control, whether for parent or for kid. Well, you know, you know how much I absolutely love to see the word consent and um, youth or adolescents or children in the same sentence. Yeah, they do. They, they go to, they back to youth here and then they say children. So we, we don't even know what age range we're talking about. So the fact that now it's children and consent in the same sentence just, wow. 
And I love how they had they add, uh, quote, designs created for adults may not be appropriate for children, end quote. You guys, you are the experts in psychological science. How can you not definitively declare that children's psychological development is massively impacted by social media and the internet functions designed for adults with fully formed brains? How can they not address the elephant in the room that crucial neural pathways are created during childhood and adolescence and that screen time has an overall negative effect on those pathways? You guys, the NIH has found that screen time is severely disrupting sleep. Y'all know melatonin is the new gummy right now, right? Everyone's got a bottle on their bedside table because screens are, they're disrupting our sleep pattern. We are not producing melatonin naturally anymore at night. Or how about screen time is literally changing the cortex of the brain. It's making that outer lining of the brain called the cortex, which processes information thinner. It is thinner, and science has yet to understand what the implications of that physical change were mean for folks. Sure, it may not have an effect if you only watch 30 minutes of YouTube a week, but we all know that is not what is happening in American homes right now. The Pew Research just dropped new stats on media and tech use. The average is nine hours a day on a device. So what's more common is that screens are raising our children through entertainment. So saying that it may not be appropriate gives parents a false sense of security that their kids may not be harmed through all of this screen exposure. But there's no guarantee at all. That is infuriating. How can you say may not be appropriate for children? They are not appropriate. No. They are not. not. It is. The NIH just, guys, you guys got to read the report. The NIH just told us like, yeah, this, they're, they're, this is dubious. There's some questionable uh, outcomes for kids and screens. Yeah. Like seriously questionable. Let's, let's go on to the next recommendation. This one says, quote, to reduce the risks of psychological harm, adolescents exposure to content on social media that depicts illegal or psychological maladaptive behavior, including content that instructs or encourages youth to engage in health risk behaviors such as self-harm, for example, cutting or suicide, harm to others, or those that encourage eating disordered behavior, for example, restrictive eating, purging, or excessive exercise, should be minimized, reported, and removed. Moreover, technology should not drive users to this content. Okay, end quote. <laughs> Let me sum this up for us. Terrible and destructive content should be minimized. Great. I already knew that. How on earth is a parent to do this? How does the youth even do this? Because who or what controls the content? Is it the user? No, it is the algorithm. It is the platform itself, which they do add at the end. Technology should not drive users to this content. And yes, that is helpful. But is this not a health advisory for how parents are supposed to help with adolescents on social media? Write something directly to the tech companies, please. Can we just have something directly to them saying this is what you're doing to children based on science? If we're real, the only way to minimize this content, which is what they're telling us to do, is to not allow it at all. Wow. Y'all, she just put her finger in the sand and drew it. <laughs> you heard it right here. I mean, the Dove commercial that we linked in our social contagion episode, Kelly, I'm just thinking about it right now. That was a real-life depiction of what they describe here in this recommendation. Do you not think that Mary's mother was trying to minimize the content that she was exposed to, that her daughter was exposed to? I mean, in the video, you can even see the mom trying to take away the phone and Mary screams for it back. How do you minimize something that is so contagious that its content is so addictive and it exploits dopamine? It's so manipulative. It's like you said, it is impossible to monitor. So the only way that I guess parents have a have a out for their kids is to just not even allow it to begin with. Most parents don't want their kids to be exposed to this content. That's logic. We don't want our kids exposed to this. But the reality is, is we can't control it. How can we minimize it when we don't even always know what they're seeing? The child, the youth, the adolescent doesn't even know what they're going to see. 
it just comes upon them. Um, so in this recommendation, I want to add kind of talk about recommendation five and seven as well, because they all kind of tie together with this word minimizing. So they're also encouraging parents to minimize this type of content. Number five says, again, quote, to minimize psychological harm, adolescents exposure to cyber hate, including online discrimination, prejudice, hate, or cyberbullying, especially directed toward a marginalized group, such as racial, ethnic, gender, sexual, religious, or ability status, or toward an individual because of their identity or allyship with a marginalized group, should be minimized. That's the key word, minimize. We're going to minimize exposure to hate, cyberbullying, and racism. Great. I can do that by keeping them completely off of all these platforms. Check. Push the pause button real quick. Who gets to decide what a marginalized group is? Because as a Christian, I'm an ally for the Jewish people. Or as a foster adoptive parent, I'm an ally for babies to be born instead of dismembered in the womb. Does this count in their criteria? We are fooling ourselves as Christians if we think they're going to include us in their marginalized group, allyship, sort of whatever. No, we're, yeah, we're the enemy. Oh, 100%. We are absolutely excluded. So continuing, so that was recommendation five. Recommendation seven similarly says adolescents should limit use of social media for social comparison, particularly around beauty or appearance-related content. Okay, so this is directed right at the adolescents. Hey, you should limit your use for this. Like, this is not what defines adolescent life. And again, but I'm just going to go back and say, how does the youth limit that? How does a parent help their youth limit that? Oh, that's right. Yes, of course. By not allowing them to have access to the social media content before they are an appropriate age, maybe around 16. Because let's be real, if they have an issue, if you want to call it an issue, or a proclivity towards social comparison and beauty and appearance-related self-worth issues, we also know that that may mean we're not going to give social media at 16. We know that is the devil's playground for them. We know this is where they're going to fall in a pit and be taken captive by tons of lies and lead them to unhealthy places. But when we talk about how adolescents should limit the use of this, how, how can you say that when the whole world revolves around social comparison now that social media rules their lives? If we actually want to teach adolescents how to limit their use of social media for this type of content, we need God's word. But the word of God, unfortunately, isn't being taught to young girls. You know, God's word says that where your treasure is there, your heart will also be. And if young girls are treasuring beauty in comparison, that's exactly where their heart is going to be. It's going to be right there in social media. And there's no way that any parents or any youth is going to be able to stop it. That is where their treasure is. They will be hyper-focused on this. But if instead we are teaching our young girls to have God's word hidden in their heart, if we are teaching them that their worth is found in Christ, then it's totally different, right? Think about 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4. If we taught this to our girls at a young age, it says, your adornment must not be merely external, just braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. What are we teaching our girls to consider precious? Likes, comments, fame, influence, being an influencer. We need to teach our girls that that our goal is to be precious in the sight of God. That is where their worth is. If your treasure is external beauty, that is where your heart is going to be. But God says the beauty is in the heart, not in earthly accolades. It is the heart that is precious in the sight of God. And it is in our creator who created our hearts where we find our worth. It is not about your skincare routine. It is not about how to apply fake eyelashes or what bikini goes best with your skin tone. That is all superficial external adornments that is worthless, that is perishable. 
Now, if we're teaching this to our girls from a younger age, then yes, they're going to be able to limit the content that is about social comparison, especially around beauty and appearance related content. They're going to be able to do that. But if we are not teaching God's word to them from a young age, they are not going to be able to do it. Plain and simple. We're expecting girls to, <laughs> to limit this on what standard? How on earth do you expect them? You can't tell a teenager this is bad for you. You shouldn't eat Takis and drink soda every day. You can tell them that that is the case, but they're a teenager. They're not going to listen to you. They have to be taught those habits from an early age. So this is just ridiculous. Um, not only that, but the people online, the reality is they don't care about you. They just want to make money. People want to exploit and elevate, you know, them, exploit you by elevating themselves. And they will gladly lead young girls astray if it makes them money. It doesn't matter who they are. If it makes them money and builds them up, they don't care what happens to young girls. They don't care about what happens to children. And this is where I, I think about the scripture that tells us to be so on guard against false teachers and those who so discourse to all things contrary to the gospel. Romans 16, 17 says, I urge you brothers to keep an eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you had learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. I'm keeping my eyes out for those who are causing dissensions and hindrances. I know who they are. I know where it lies. It lies on social media. But also this, dear friends, who are the unsuspecting? Paul says here in the letter to Romans that they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Who are those people? Who are those who are easily deceived? Is it not our children? Is it not them who are online completely unknowingly taking in all of this content and not knowing that it's not reality? They are the unsuspecting, and we are the ones who are supposed to be watching out for them. God tells us in his word right here that we are to turn away from these influences. We don't just try to minimize their influence, you know, or minimize their psychological harm. No, we turn our backs on these influences. We don't allow them into our homes and especially onto our children's phones and devices. I absolutely agree. And let's just take a, a moment of just humbleness. Cal, I'm a 30 plus year old woman and there are places I do not go on social media. I do not do it. I only have one platform. I do not engage in all the platforms because I know that I am susceptible to these influences. I know that I am. I would rather boast in my weakness than try to uh, handle social media with some sort of pride, right? Let's just be honest and let's communicate that with our kids that we're not even strong enough to handle these things. And it really kind of reminds me of that verse that Paul uses in, um, in Philippians in chapter three, verses 17 through 19. He says, join in following my example. Like, don't just watch me do it. Like, get in the water's good. Like, come, come and join in my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction and whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame, who have set their minds on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven. So the truth is, is that young Christians need to know this. They need to know that their citizenship is in heaven. They need to learn how to walk according to the character and, and attitudes of Christ. But many of them are online living as enemies of the cross and their end is destruction. That's what God's word says. I, this isn't me or Kelly, like given our opinions, that's what God's word says. If you're going to live by your appetite and your lusts, the end is destruction. So even if they get that little 15 minutes of fame, even if it's just a little bit of happiness and wealth, their end is destruction. This is what happens every single time you live a content-driven life. It cannot sustain itself. And ultimately, relationships are destroyed. 
Self-worth is destroyed, opportunities, purity, mental health, they are all destroyed because their minds are set on earthly things. This isn't this isn't us giving our opinion. Yeah. And you can't minimize it. That's the word that I just I, I can't believe they keep using because it's so frustrating. You can't minimize it. You either are all in. It takes such a strong, strong, strong self-control um, and diligence for adults with fully formed brains to be able to minimize it. We cannot expect that from our youth, from our adolescents, our children, whatever word you want to use. Other than stating some more obvious actions that should, could, would be done in theory, you know, minimize if you can, encourage if you can. This is really the core of their recommendations. So let's quickly look at what other news outlets had to say about their recommendations. Are we at Brave Parenting completely off course? Does everybody love these recommendations or are they in agreement? So one popular science article titled, Should Kids Use Social Media? U.S. psychology experts share their do's and don'ts. Okay, so they summarized their report this way. Quote, in short, the APA reiterates that like every other aspect of psychological development, it's difficult to pinpoint and quantify any single influence on an individual's brain evolution. Instead, the association focuses on two major contributors to how social media can potentially affect younger users, parental oversight and awareness, as well as a platform's own algorithmic structures. So while, again, a whole lot of words to talk about brain evolution, whatever, the point I'd like to make is they do center in on the two major contributors to what's happening in adolescents' life on social media. And that's the two contributors identified here as parental oversight and platforms algorithm. I mean, that's pretty much the crux of the issue, right? But there's only one of those two factors that we can actually control. And I, should I play the Jeopardy music? Uh, okay, so parental oversight or algorithm. Hmm. I'm going to go with choice number one, parents. You're a winner. We are the major contributing factor to our child's social media usage and experience. We must stay obedient to the Lord's imperatives in this arena instead of obeying our emotions or our children's feelings. There was another response to the APA, and it was from digitalwellbeing.org. And in this review, they say, quote, it's helpful that the recommendations do not demonize, catastrophize, or make sweeping generalizations about social media's effects. And the document opens with the consistent finding that, quote, social media is not inherently beneficial or harmful to young people. It's also helpful that the recommendations focus on the need for training, coaching, and digital literacy. Still reading from this article, Dr. Paul Marsden says, I'd like to have more of a specific emphasis on the attention economy and the reality-distorting nature of social media feeds and the potential to exacerbate negativity biases with grievances, polarizations, and extremism. I don't necessarily promote digitalwellbeing.org. I think it's not actually well-being. Okay, but nonetheless, um, I think Dr. Paul Marsden would absolutely categorize this podcast as catastrophizing. Oh, spot on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I'm okay with that claim because I, I, I truly believe with every fiber of my mind and of my soul that this is a catastrophe. I don't know what the definition of a catastrophe is, but if, if it leads to destruction, then this absolutely fits the bill beautifully. I Googled it. I Googled the defini definition of catastrophe for you, Cal, because you said you didn't know. Would you like to know what it is? Tell me exactly. Okay. It's an event causing great and often sudden damage or suffering. It's a disaster. Oh, come on. Yes, I am catastrophizing. Social media is a catastrophe. It is, would you say, sudden damage, disaster? Yes, that is what's happening. Because when you give the phone over to the child and you give them access to social media, their entire life changes. Their entire life. And it is, a, it is a catastrophe. I cannot think of very many people, young people, adolescents, who are getting on there and like, yeah, you know, I looked at it once. I didn't like it. And I'm off. Maybe there's some, right? There's some. But for the most part, it takes them over. 
that social comparison, that need to be in the know, all of that. And then it leads to, it leads to disaster. It leads to destruction. He says, the APA is not making sweeping generalizations about social media effects. I just don't even know how you can call 57% of teen girls feeling constantly hopeless, depressed, anxious as a sweeping generalization. I don't know how you can look at the brain scans of young kids who are using excessive screen time and seeing their brain development change, seeing speech and language development be altered, that suicides are, are increased dramatically. I don't know how you can say these are sweeping generalizations about social media effects. I would probably say that I am making those sweeping generalizations because if you look over the past 10 years, it has not been good. This has not been a net gain for adolescents. No, it hasn't. It has not been the net gain. I think the, what is it, number two, number two leading cause of death right now among our adolescents is suicide. And if our listeners don't know, when Kelly made the the claim that 57% of teen girls feel constantly hopeless, depressed, and anxious, that just came from the CDC's newest teen risk behavior survey. We've covered that in one of our podcasts. It's easily accessible information. So again, the APA, the NIH, the CDC are all saying different things. So who do we trust, Kelly? Aren't they all government-sponsored, like, public agencies that should be looking out for? But what about that New York Times piece that just came out? And honestly, who would have thought that their contribution to this discussion would actually be the most helpful? I mean... Normally, the New York Times tends to be a little bit left of where we stand, but this was helpful. No. And I absolutely agree. In their article titled, How Parents Can Actually Help Teens Navigate Social Media, they came out with a response to the APA recommendations, and they list these applications. Number one, early on, be very hands-on. Yeah. We agree. Co-view, co-play. Yep. Mm-hmm. Number two, hold your firmest boundaries at night. No screens after 9 p.m. and no screens in the bedroom overnight. Hey, it sounds like our podcast last week. <laughs> Number three, help teens understand how social media affects their brains. Yes, emphatically, yes. It's like we go back to that scripture. Paul says, follow the example that I've shown you. When parents are demonstrating good social media use and they're helping kids understand this is why I use it this way or this is what I don't do. Because it can affect me too as an adult and even more so you as a child, right? Helping them understand that. Number four, ask, do you feel like you have control over social media or do you feel like it's controlling you? Those are, that's a great question to ask. Number five, encourage teens to ask, do I feel bad about myself while I look at this? And then number six, with older teens especially, lead conversations with curiosity, not judgment. You guys, these are great introspective questions that um, that teach our kids how to be critical thinkers, um, teach them to be self-reflective, but we don't just leave them there, there as Christian parents. We take that information and then we go to God's word and we discern it through scripture and we say, this is good. This is bad. This is a lie. This is truth. And that helps us live and join in as Paul walked. Like he said, join me in how I walk join and walk in Christ's likeness. This is solid and good discipleship. I, I'm kind of shocked this came from the New York Times. <laughs> but the reality is it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. It takes you standing firm and holding your ground. It means you cannot cave. It means you build character through conversations. Basically, it's just, it's on you, mom and dad. It's No one else is coming to do this job. No one else is going to do it. In fact, Everyone else in the world is going to work against you. That's what's happening right now. But are you going to live as a friend of the world? Are you going to obey your flesh? Or are you going to live as a citizen of heaven? It is, man, it is not called brave parenting for nothing. That is for sure. That is what I have learned the hard way. Um, you, if, if you're going to do it, if you're going to do it differently, if you're going to draw that line in the sand like Kelly's done, you're going against the grain. You are swimming upstream. But let me tell you, it's going to be good for you to do that. You know that that verse in Galatians, I believe it is, it's kind of like you reap what you sow. 
If you want your children to be confident and joyful and kind, then you disciple them as God instructs us to because we look to him for that parent-child relationship. He is the perfect blueprint of how to form children because he's forming us. So as he forms us, we form our children. But the kind of opposite is true. If you want them to buck up against authority, if you want them to love the world, feel depressed, anxious, victimized by the world, then you know, the option is let the internet raise them. Let social media disciple them cuz let me I'm here to tell you they are willing and able. And they they're not they're not ashamed of that fact that they are willing and able to disciple you or your kids. But either way, we will reap what we sow. That's the hard truth. And that's not me. That's not Kelly saying that. That's literally going back to God's word and saying, I'm taking this as truth and I want to live by it. And that may sound really blunt and it may feel convicting, but we just love you. We love the body of Christ. We love parents and kids out there too much to not tell you the truth. It's not warn you that the enemy is leading kids away from Christ in droves online. It's like he is building an army of young people who love and worship themselves, and it is going to end in destruction. Therefore, we must be brave together. And we see you. We see you, brave parents. We hear from you. We know it is not easy, but we want you to keep up the great work. And we pray that the Lord strengthens you for this fight. And as we wrap up, I just want to leave you with these encouraging words. They were so encouraging to me. I just wrapped up two-year study in Romans. And as Paul ends his letter to the Romans, he closes it by saying this, For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. That's Romans 16, 19 through 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This is the truth that we can stand on today and let our obedience, our obedience reach to all as we just rejoice over each other's obedience in doing this. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Be sure to get set up for summer with your RO box. It's going to help you stay off of your screen, help your whole family compete and have fun in doing so. Go to ro.com forward slash brave. Use promo code brave to receive a free month subscription. We love the company. We love the product. We know you'll love it too. All right. Until next week, go and be brave.